Right. Somehow I've managed to keep my voice. I thought it was going. So um, today we're going to look into uh, the the gospel of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 34, which is on the front of your outline. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, Jesus and the Pharisees. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. A little context text about this passage before we get into it. Um, the previous chapters in Mark have Jesus being uh, questioned and debated with by the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the scribes. And they're asking questions of Jesus, not like people who really want to know the truth, but people who... Uh, feel threatened by the ministry of Jesus. Uh, the Pharisees, they see Jesus' ministry is kind of in competition with them. If, if, if Jesus has his way, they will be irrelevant. And so they're getting, Jesus is getting the kind of questions that political, you know, people running for office get this time of year in the presidential election. It's, it's those kind of questions that are trying to trap you, get you to say something that is uh, not logically consistent or get you to, to sound foolish. But every time Jesus says something that, that kind of throws people off. The Sadducees, they don't believe in resurrection. So what's their question? It's a question about resurrection. Maybe we can throw them off there. Jesus, are people, are, are people going to be married? 
in the resurrection. And Jesus answers their question, kind of shuts them up. The Pharisees, they asked Jesus questions concerning uh, Sabbath. Because the Pharisees had come up with all kind of extra rules on what you could do, how many steps you could take on the Sabbath. Uh, they got carried away with it. And Jesus said, look, at the end of the day, uh, the Sabbath was made for human beings, not human beings for the Sabbath. So it kind of shuts them up there. Then the Pharisees decide, we know a way to trick him. We'll ask his opinion on a political issue. And this is kind of a question that I think that that Jesus would probably be asked today if he were walking around America. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes? And this was kind of a trick question because, you know, at that point the, the Jewish people were, were being dominated by the Roman Empire and the Roman Empire was taxing them just ridiculously. And it was being taxed to... The, imagine, imagine getting taxed more than half of your income to pay for the people who were oppressing you. Not such a good deal. So this was a hot-button issue of Jesus' day. If Jesus says, no, you don't have to pay taxes to Caesar, then the people are happy, but then that puts him in trouble with the government. If Jesus says, yes, you do have to pay taxes, then it makes him good with the government, but it, it, it makes the Tea Party mad. <laughs> See if anybody's awake. <laughs> so Jesus answers him, well, who's, whose face is on the coin? Julius Caesar. Well, give to Caesar. Actually, it wasn't Julius Caesar. It was Augustus Caesar. Sorry. Uh, well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God's. Wow, they didn't see that answer coming. <laughs> and so at the end of this, this passage we're looking at today, it says Jesus' answer to this question, it says that nobody dared question him anymore. Jesus says something that sounds so authoritative at this point, it just shuts everybody up. They're like, okay, we can't argue with this. This is useless. <laughs> it's interesting, the, the, the guy that um, poses the question He's actually a scribe, so he would have been in the Pharisee crowd. He would have been somebody who was a scholar in, in the Scriptures. But somehow, in the midst of all these people that are trying to pick Jesus apart, that feel threatened by him, there's somebody in the crowd that actually hears what Jesus says, and his heart is stirred. I believe the Holy Spirit is moving in his heart, and he comes up to Jesus. He's, he likes what Jesus is saying, and so he decides to ask him a question. But before I get there, I want to look back upon my childhood. I want to work out my childhood issues with y'all a bit. That's why I got into this whole thing. When I was 11 years old, um, I went to this, I grew up out in Midland, Texas, and there was this large crusade that had thousands of people going to it by this guy named uh, Arthur Blessed. Does anybody remember a guy named Arthur Blessed? Yeah, okay. This dude, he walked around the world with a cross, like all over the world, just carried a cross and told people about Jesus. So he did this big crusade there. And one night he, he did an invitation for people who felt called to preach. And here I am, 11 years old. I'm like, that's me. I, I feel called to preach. That's when it all happened. And so I thought immediately after getting feeling called into ministry, I realized that 
if I'm going to be serious about this God thing, I ought to start going to a Christian school. Because if you want to know more about God and Jesus, you go to a Christian school, right? So I thought. <laughs> Silly me. So I begged my parents, please let me go to a Christian school, because I was going to one of them heathen schools, the, the public schools, right? And so I begged my can I please go to a Christian school? And so they're like, yeah. So I only had... You know, I had less than half of the year left in sixth grade, and they let me enroll in this Christian school. Well, the particular Christian school that I went to was serious, fundamentalist, legalistic, just hardcore. I don't remember much about the school other than the fact that I was in detention almost every day <laughs> for an hour after school. And it wasn't because I was a rebellious kid at that time. You know, I'd go through rebellion later. I mean, I was there because I took God seriously. I wanted to know more about God and get around other people. And yet I found that every day I was breaking some little rule. And I mean, these were, these were very arbitrary rules. I mean, it was, you couldn't keep up with them. I remember the, the, the worst thing that, that stands out in my mind. One day, I'm sitting in the chapel service right before it got started, before class, and, and my buddy looks over at me. He says, hey, man, you going to the Christian rock concert next week? Who's playing, man? A guy named Joe English. Who's Joe English? Oh, he used to play for Paul McCartney. You know, the Beatles? And you would have thought that this kid just let loose a stream of profanities because the teacher comes up and she goes, we don't talk about those kinds of things here. And she gave us both attention for saying the Beatles. The Beatles. We weren't encouraging people to go see the Beatles. We were talking about this guy who played drums for one of the guys who was the Beatles, but was a Christian. We got detention for mentioning the name of the Beatles. I had gone to this school because I wanted to learn more about God, but instead I got inoculated to religion for the rest of my life. <laughs> I realized very quickly, if this is what this Jesus thing is about, if this is what church is about, I don't want to have anything to do with this because rather than draw me into closer relationship with God, it actually pushed me away. Shortly after that, I just kind of, Gave up on church for my teenage years until I was 20 years old. I, I didn't come back to faith. Now, I don't want to blame it all on that, but I certainly <laughs> was a little part in the scenario. You know, the Jewish people in the time of the scripture, they had over 600 laws that governed everything in their life from what they could eat, which did not include cheeseburgers or crawfish, by the way, we're all, we've all broken that law already in here. Um, it included from what they could eat to who they could eat with to what kinds of fabric they could mix together when they got dressed in the morning to uh, how, what things would make them unclean. 600-something laws. That's kind of like me back in when I was 11 years old. I mean, can you imagine trying to keep up with 600 laws? And, I mean, I, I know I'd, I'd have to be offering sacrifices every day for my sins because I'd be breaking them. I'd be in detention every day. 
And that's where the Jewish people found themselves. But it was, it was actually worse because the Pharisees, they weren't content with just 600-something laws. They decided, we need a couple hundred more laws. We need, the, the Pharisees actually believed that the reason that God had not sent the Messiah to the Jewish people yet was because they weren't pure enough, they weren't holy enough. And so the Pharisees actually developed a complex version of laws to add to the existing laws because they, they thought, if we want to be more pure and holy, we just need more laws. Have you ever tried that before? <laughs> And so the Jewish people at the time, under the Pharisees, they were getting to a point where instead of, of, of these laws helping bring them closer to God and one another, they'd become a burden that nobody could carry. Jesus said as much to them. Jesus says, you Pharisees, you, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You're, you're, you, you're making people twice the son of hell that you guys are. All these rules and stuff that you're doing, they, they, they clean up the outside. You look great. But on the inside, it's dirty. You're just dead man bones. So Jesus cuts through hundreds of laws and commandments with his answer. He says, you want to know the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. In the Gospel of Luke, it, it, it phrases this, that Jesus actually says the, the, the entire prophets and the law are fulfilled in these two commandments. And if you're like me, someone who's prone to break the rules, somebody's not really good at following the rules, or maybe you're, you're like me in the sense of you don't like people telling you what to do. Is anybody like that in here? I know people that if you want them to... to not do something, don't tell them that. <laughs> you tell them not to do something, that's the very first thing they're going to do. I'm kind of like that myself sometimes. So for those of us who fit into that camp, for, for those of you that, that aren't real good at following rules, you don't like following recipes, you don't like people telling you what to do, this is great. This is liberating. I don't need hundreds of laws anymore. All I got to do is love God and love people. Sounds so easy, doesn't it? <laughs> All I got to do is just these two things. It's up there on our wall. <laughs> That's all you got to do is just love God and love people. How hard is that? I love what uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky wrote in the, the Brothers Karamazov. He says, love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. Can I get an Amen. If you have ever been in a long-term committed relationship with anybody, you know it ain't all warm, fuzzy feelings. It ain't all love songs. <laughs> it ain't all just, oh, I'm so glad to be with you, honey. It ain't all like that. Sometimes it's like that. When you fall in love, you're actually on drugs. You are. Neurologists say that. That's why some people get stuck in a perpetual adolescence where they're going from one relationship to the next because they are on drugs. Your body produces drugs when you're in love. I mean, you were literally on some good stuff. <laughs> it feels good to be in, in, in infatuation, but you're jacked up on all kinds of drugs. <laughs> Love 
But you get in a long-term relationship with somebody, eventually, you know, those drugs, it's God's little trick to get us to, to commit to one another, I think. He gets you on drugs. You're, you're, you're not thinking straight. Love will conquer all. I believe I can do it. fly. <laughs> you get married, and then those drugs wear off. <laughs> they do. I mean, because that's, that's, that's just the way that, that our bodies are built. You don't get those infatuation chemicals to carry you 20 years down the road. They last about two years. And you're faced with you can either dissolve that relationship and go look for that fix again, or you can press through. And you'll get some other chemicals down the road that are long-term commitment chemicals. You can read all about this in neurology. (laughs) But the thing is, as Dostoevsky said, real love is dreadful. Compared to the love in our dreams, we have this sentimental, romantic notion of love that is fed to us in media and love songs, and, and we, we, we watch movies about that. We don't watch movies about long-term, difficult relationships where people have to go through all kind of hard times, and, and they you know just live happily ever after, after they've gone through all kinds of difficult things. We watch the movies that end with a couple at the altar. That's where, all the, that's where all those romantic comedies end. They don't end five years, ten years into it, where they're cleaning up diapers. <laughs> and things are rough. And they're having to work on their communication and resolving conflict. Uh, we don't like watching those kind of movies. That's too real. Jesus says all we got to do is love God and love each other. That's it? Yeah, that's it. See, I think there's this notion, and I've been guilty of it as well, for those of us who've, who've had bad experiences with legalism and, and religion that, that's been all about rules, we hear these things and it's such a weight off of us. Oh, thank God. Now all we got to do is just love each other, man. This is great. Just going to love. Just love. I love you. You love me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his famous book on community, he says, and I'm paraphrasing him, but he says, basically, many times the person who is the biggest proponent of community is actually going to be the person who destroys community. Because they're, they're, they've got an ideal of community that they're after. They're not after the reality of community. A lot of us like the ideal of love, but we don't like love in reality. Because true love is difficult. Had Jesus just dispensed this saying from some monastery up in the desert mountains outside of Jerusalem, had he just told us, all you got to do is love God and love people, we might have a way out. There's been plenty of spiritual teachers throughout mankind's history who dispense their teachings from from places that are isolated from the everyday world that we live in. But Jesus doesn't just simply tell us to love. He defines for us what love actually looks like with his own actions. Every time Jesus sits down at dinner with the wrong crowd... He's defining for us what love looks like. Every time he touches the untouchable leper, every time he talks to a prostitute or an adulterer, every time he welcomes children, 
hangs out with his disciples late at night around a campfire in his fishing boat, walking dusty roads. God is showing us what love is like. True love is not afraid to get messy and dirty. (laughs) Jesus defines it for us, which is no comfort (laughs) to our sentimentality. When I see how Jesus defines love, I'm just I'm left back in another desperate place again. I'm humbled. <laughs> like it's inspirational, Jesus. I I love that kind of love, but I don't know how to get there. Cuz even when I try to love, I'm a selfish person. <laughs> just put it nicely. This is why I love what the Apostle John writes in 1 John 4, 19. We love because God first loved us. There is something when we open up our hearts to the experience of God's love, when we exercise our faith to believe that we are loved unconditionally by God, that we are accepted without reservation by our Father in heaven. When we believe that, it changes us. We're changed on the inside, and there's something in our capacity within that is opened up to love other people. That's the only way I know of getting there. I can be inspired by Jesus all day, and, and that can actually make me feel worse sometimes if I look at my own life. But it is only as I exercise my faith to... Excuse me. Uh, it's only as I exercise my faith towards actually receiving that love of God that we sang about this morning, that I actually experience a change in my heart that actually empowers me to participate in that love. God loved me first. God loved you first. And it's because God loved us that we can begin to love. Now, I can go on and on about this, as you well know, but I'm going to close by showing a little video this morning from a a woman named Brene Brown. Uh, You may have heard of her before. Uh, She's got some great uh, TED Talks out there, some things like that. She's written some books. um, But I love what she says about Jesus and his love for us, so... Check this out. Jesus makes complete sense to me. Why? (laughs) Because this is my whole thing. I believe God is love. It's that simple and that complicated. And so if you tried to express love to human beings and just came down and said, I am love, love each other. We automatically, because we're so afraid of hard things, we would automatically go to like unicorns and rainbows. And so you would have to send someone to show what love in the flesh looks like. You would have to send, what does love look like? And so, otherwise, we would romanticize it. We would turn it, we would, we would make it easy. 
because that's who we are as people. We're going to make it easy. And so then Jesus comes and says, okay, I, I am love. I sit with the people you're not allowed to talk to. I do all the hard things. I make all the hard choices. I love the people that are unlovable. I feed the people who are not supposed to be taken care of. Um, I don't tolerate shame. I don't tolerate attacks. Like I'm love and it's hard and messy and dirty. And if you really love, I mean fierce, big love, you'll become dangerous to people. And so there's no way that most of us could have understood what love was without seeing what love looked like. So to me, it makes perfect sense. And so God is love and Jesus is what love looks like made flesh. And it's hard and it's not the default and it has nothing to do with rainbows and unicorns and fluffy stuffed animals. It's about choosing what's right over what's easy. And we don't want love to be that. Why don't you stand? I put a few reflection questions on your outline today. And I just encourage you to take a little time this week to sit down with these questions. To reflect on how perhaps you have viewed your faith more as rules than a matter of loving God people. To reflect on how Jesus has defined love through his actions in the Gospels. And to ask the Lord if there's areas that he's inviting you into to love instead of judging. There's one last aspect that I haven't gone into today, but implicit in this commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. There's something here about loving ourselves that if we don't love ourselves, we can't really love other people. But I want us to reflect on maybe even this week, what does it look like to actually love yourself and how is that different from just being selfish? Because <laughs> I think many of us, when we hear self-love, it's, it's a weird thing. Well, let's invite the Spirit to kind of lead us into what that means. How does it look to love ourselves? How is that different from just being selfish jerks? <laughs> I want to pray for you this morning. Lord, we are humbled by your commands today. We thank you for the freedom, the grace that you bring, that we don't have to live our lives paranoid trying to follow hundreds of rules, but that you have broken it down to the simplest two commandments, Lord, to love you with everything and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But God, at the same time, we are humbled when we consider how hard it is just to love the ones who love us, not to mention the ones that 
aggravate us, God, the ones who are enemies to us. So, Holy Spirit, we just ask you to relate, to, to open our hearts to understand the love of God more. Lord, awaken your love in our hearts, God. Help us to be freed and healed by your love, God, that we could truly love others as we love ourselves. We could truly love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, Lord. This is our prayer, God. In Jesus' name, amen.